Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. On today's episode of Inspiring Women, I am so pleased to be speaking with Ann Barnes. Ann is an executive. She's the chief executive officer of Intelligent Medical Objects, and for the past 20 some odd years. She has been a executive leader at the forefront of data, data liquidity, technology in healthcare and other industries. Prior to becoming the CEO of IMO, she was a senior leader at MedData um, in the healthcare industry. And prior to that, she was in the banking industry. Anne herself is a huge proponent of developing women leaders. And I am really excited to be speaking to you today, Anne, on Inspiring Women. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Lori. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Well, great. Well, me too. So why don't we just dive in? And, um, you know, every time when I start inspiring women, incredible executives like yourself, I really just like to start, what are you doing right now? What does your day-to-day look like um, as the CEO of Intelligent Medical Objects? Yeah, thanks. So I am the CEO of a healthcare software company that is really focused on improving healthcare data at the time of the clinical visit. So making sure that Doctors can speak doctors to get to the level of specificity they want to write about a patient to make sure that that information is accurate and really, really granular so that downstream that can be used or compiled to make better decisions about that specific patient and improve patient outcomes, but also groups of patients um, as we think about taking risk and improving overall outcomes across patient groups. So it's really kind of a, a fun, exciting place to be. Um, in, in general, I this is my second stint as a CEO for um, sort of mid, uh, mid-sized growth companies, and I've been a CEO um, twice now for private equity where they will make an investment from a founder, and then I come in and sort of take the company to the next level. So that's a that's a pretty sweet spot to be in. I mean, there is so much money out there for you know private um, private equity and venture investment now. We can talk about how little of it is going to you know female leaders, CEOs, um, and founders. But before we sort of go to go to sort of industry trends like that, let's just sort of stay with you a bit. So you, you've got a background. You've been in sales. You've been in marketing. You've done finance. You've done operations. You've done multiple C suite position. So Anne, how did you get there? And how did sort of that intersection, again, innovation, technology, data liquidity, how did those become sort of those places where you've really landed in these more than one CEO roles? Yeah, thanks. I mean, look, I think my career started a long, long time ago at a company called Xerox, which, you know, was, um, you know, copiers and printers back in the day. But I was fortunate and blessed enough to, at that time, be involved in a company that was investing in their people and specifically had a focus on women, which 30 years ago, that's a big deal. 
And so I started to realize that I could do a lot of things and that I didn't need to stay linear in how I was thinking about it. So from a career pathing standpoint, I really learned at an early age that it could be a career lattice, not a career ladder. And I could do lots of different things organizationally to make me a stronger leader. And so, yes, I played in sales. I played in marketing. I did a stint in HR. Um, I certainly moved to the finance and operational side. Um, and went deep into operations as I sort of progressed in my career. And for me, it was always, how do I take on the next challenge? And how do I become a better and stronger leader, which has been a a long-term focus. And then I've done it in multiple industries. I think it's, um, it's really sad to me that we try to get somebody stuck in one specific industry. I think skills are transferable and and industries have similar problems. About 80% of the job stays the same and 20% is is something new that you need to learn about that industry and that makes it fun and challenging. And then as it relates to technology and data, um, I need to do something I'm passionate about. And I think that's really true about a lot of women. I don't think we just wanna show up and have a good job. For me, I wanna make a difference and I wanna do something that I'm passionate about. And so I'm passionate about sort of moving the world forward and how do we use technology in better ways? How do we use people in organizations and get them to be operating at the top of their license. So we use technology for sort of the the basic things and we use really smart people to do really smart things. Um, And so that's always been a focus. And then landing in healthcare, data in healthcare is such a huge problem. Technology in healthcare is so challenging and we need to move healthcare here in America forward dramatically. And so it seemed like a really positive place to make a contribution that we can all relate to because we're all patients. Right, right. Well, I think it's interesting. So I like, first of all, I've heard more than than you talk about this career lattice versus career ladder. And I just think that concept is a good one, particularly for women who say, you know, many people who are just trying out new and different things. But you also talked about, you know, the, um, you know, I really wanted to do something I was passionate about. Now, now, Ann, I don't know about you, but me too. But when I was just starting out, I just wanted a job and I just needed to like work hard before I could like, you know, have the luxury of determining like what I was really thrilled about. So what started, when, when did it start to turn for you? When did it, when did leadership become the thing that you gravitated to? When did you make a determination that what you were passionate about was more important than perhaps the next lattice move or, or something of that nature? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question that I talk, I talk a lot to people I mentor about this. When I was 24 years old, so a really long time ago, I sat in a meeting where it was actually a women's conference inside of Xerox where a bunch of female executives stood up and talked about their careers and their roles. And it was an aha moment for me to be able to visually see people like me in those roles. And that was the day that I decided I wanted to move into the leadership path. Like it is really important to me to not just be an individual contributor, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I really wanna move into having a much larger impact. And I really wanna impact people around me and help them be successful. And so that was a big move. And I think that's really important today. It's so important that people of color, that women can see people like themselves in those roles. I think it's important that our youth, that our teenagers can see people like us in these roles so that they know that it's possible. And once you see that possibility, then you can decide if that's right for you, but it opens up a really big sort of exciting world that I think 
doesn't just happen through speaking. I think we've got to be able to demonstrate that. That's really important to me and my companies that I don't just say this is my passion, but that I build teams that reflect that so that others can see themselves. I um, I agree with that. I relate to that. Um, so I really appreciate those comments. Being in that leadership seat, being in that position where you can create the leadership teams and how you want those um, to interact with each other, maybe hit on some of those obstacles um, along the way. You know, there is literally zero way that, you know, you in the roles that you are in, the tables you sit at, that you didn't have some challenges along the way. It always looks sort of easier in the rear view mirror. What were some of the big challenges that you faced, maybe a setback or something that you really learned from and helped you move forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, there's been a lot of them, so it's hard to pull, <laughs> hard to pull that out. But I, you know, a, a few of them that really have stuck with me. Um, I had a boss once. I'm I'm a doer. I'm an execution person, um, and I had a boss once um, who sat me down and said, "You know, I I want you to be really clear about what you can accomplish and what you can't. And one of the things you're not going to be able to accomplish." is being a leader at the top. Like you, you'll never be a CEO. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because you don't have an and. You're a doer, you're not a thinker. And because you're so focused on execution, you'll never be in my seat. And, and it's, it's really taking those external voices, which I could give you hundreds of examples and not letting those drown out your internal voice that becomes so important because I just took those as a challenge. I mean, I think about that statement every day and I think about what I've proven and what I'm gonna help other people prove. And that to tell somebody what they can't do is really a waste of time because our internal voices need to be strong enough to say, I can do whatever I wanna do and I'm gonna accomplish that. And I just, I think there's, you know, lots and lots of those examples. I can give you lots of examples as I've built teams with females on it. I've worked with, you know, investors who struggle with um, teams that, that look like the teams that I build and how important I think it is and for me to battle through that and for me to prove that diversity makes for better teams, which produce better results. Yeah, and that is, um, first of all, that's, um, I want to dig into that. Talk about a master class in terms of not how to give feedback. By, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you are never going to be, and um, those defining moments, it's great that you had the, um, I don't know, the, the just, uh, I will not let you define me reaction as opposed to what I might do, which is just go home and cry into a pillow. But I'm glad you took a different approach there. Let's talk about building diverse leadership teams. There's um, enormous conversation going on across um, many, many companies. DEI is a topic um, across all companies, it seems. And yet it's hard to do. If we look at the statistics that are coming out of Silicon Valley, um, where they have put a focus on this for the past couple of years, not a whole lot has changed there. So how are you accomplishing it? How are you purposefully uh, making sure that that happens? And then I'd love to hear some of the, you know, what does it mean in terms of results that you're seeing because of it? Yeah. Um, so look, I think one of the things that that is really hard to deal with is everybody's talking about DE and I, and nobody's doing very much about it. Right. And so it, it needs to move out of the discussion and into the do. 
And if you're going to do something like anything else you do in business, you've got to be really intentional and you've got to be intentional at every level. So for me, as I build teams, I'm very, very intentional about not just the candidate pools for the people that I'm selecting or the roles that I'm selecting, but intentionally forcing certain roles for me. Um, I forced certain roles organizationally that I thought people had a perception of. So I'll give you an example. Um, I, I probably took two and a half to three extra months making sure that I hired a female CFO. There was a very strong belief that there weren't a lot of good CFO candidates and that traditionally that's a male role. And even the recruiting team I was working with, I had to push really hard and I had to continue to say, I'm not going to select from a pool of candidates that's not diverse. So we, we can look harder, we can search further, but I'm gonna be intentional that before we start interviewing, the candidate pool must be diverse. So, and I did the opposite, by the way, on um, my people and culture choice. I wanted that to be a male um, because I wanted to start to change people's perceptions because in the company I was in, there were really strong uh, perceptions. And so I think you have to be intentional about, about what you want for the role. You have to be intentional about what you want that person to bring from a diversity perspective, what kind of life experiences and skills and what they're adding to the team. But you also have to be intentional at every level of the organization about those candidate pools and I think our responsibility is to go even further and be intentional about intern programs. So we have a very focused STEM intern program um, that focuses on bringing in diverse interns, both females and people of color, because we know that we have a responsibility to impact that. And we're now looking to see what we can do in local high schools to start to impact those students who are thinking about majoring um, or might not be thinking yet about majoring in um, sort of a, a STEM role or a STEM major. And I, I just think like anything else in business, you've got to break it down and be really focused and execute against it. And I don't think that's happening most of the time, but I can tell you, we make it a real part of our business and our results, I think are a direct reflection of the diverse people that sit around the table at multiple levels in the organization. And, and so maybe some examples of sort of like, you know, how that diversity helps you. So financial results are easy to measure, but if you could just highlight some of the examples, because I think the um, intentional approach, approach that you just outlined, that's it, that is what is required. It's actual work. It doesn't just happen with, you know, the statement that there's a commitment to it. It requires work at more than just the CEO um, level and how it actually materializes requires things like you just said, waiting longer to fulfill the seat unless you have a diverse pool of candidates to select from. I mean, those are choices that you're making. And I think there's a, you know, many people are feeling a moral imperative and almost like, you know, it's embarrassing to not have diversity on leadership teams, but the actual doing of it takes a lot more time, time and effort. So maybe speak to the results, like why it matters, what happens in the small ways that actually bring to the better, better results for the organization. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll give you big sort of market examples and then and then company examples. But you know, if you if you look at healthcare and you say, okay, and your company is servicing healthcare, eighty percent of the healthcare workforce is female, and twenty percent of the healthcare leaders are female. That's not even to mention how many women are making healthcare decisions for their families, right? So if you think about I'm a company that wants to build products that resonate 
they resonate with physicians, they resonate in hospitals, but they also resonate through to making better decisions for a patient, then I have to have a diverse group of people who understand that very end patient, right? I can't, I can't say there's a ton of women out there making healthcare decisions for their families. So let me let this group of white males make all the decisions about the products we bring to market and how we, how we reflect the needs of that market. It's much faster to connect your company culture and makeup to the end customer. And, and so that shows up in a variety of ways, but I'll give you, I'll give you one example. In the pandemic, women were adversely affected in the workforce um, more than others, right? And so more women left their careers, put their careers on hold um, than we've ever seen because they were homeschooling children and because we were all more homebound and there were there's a variety of reasons leading into that. So if you say, well, how do you fix that? I believe that us getting to a solution that starts to create a lot more flexibility to bring these really smart, intelligent people back into the workforce in a way that works for them got developed much more quickly at IMO because we had a good group of women as part of the team making that decision. Um, I think that that we got there quicker, we got there more accurately because we could relate. Um, and that's really, really difficult to do when you're talking about something that you don't have the same level of understanding. And so look, I think that's important. That's why it's important to be diverse. I wouldn't want all women around the table for the same reason, right? We need to reflect the audiences that we're dealing with. And so you need a diverse group to be able to jump in with their life experiences, their styles, their approaches to, to get there. That's terrific. And maybe let's move to, you know, some of what is happening to women um, because of this pandemic. Now, I've been reading and I think we're all talking about things like the great resignation. Something that spoke to me recently is really a, a just calling it something quite different. The, the great reevaluation, just people in the pandemic reevaluating how they want to work. You're talking about engaging employees and how they have, how you're providing flexibility to them. So, in your great reevaluation, how you think about leading, how you think about driving your company forward, what are you seeing with your team members? What are you seeing for the industry? And what do you think that might mean for women specifically, you know, in the area of technology, innovation, data liquidity, the areas where you focus? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's, there's so much in that question. Look, I think everybody had a chance, myself included, to reevaluate and say, what does the world look like and how can we be more connected to our families and our home life? And certainly got a big taste of that, right? But we also got a big taste of what I'm going to do outside of my home life, my family life needs to make a difference. I want to matter. I want my work to matter. And I think right now we're seeing this really strange reaction where there's a lot of companies just throwing a lot of money at people. And I don't think money's the answer, right? I think, I think paying people appropriately is important, but having them be able to connect their work to something that matters is important. And having them be able to show up authentically in the workplace as real people is important. And so I don't want to have to put my work face on to come to work. And I don't want to have to sacrifice my home life for my work life or vice versa. And so how do we create an environment where I can authentically be myself? I can authentically show up at work, just like I do at home. 
I can authentically make a difference, but I also have the flexibility to make decisions about my own life and my work that allow me to show up and be the best I can be during work and the best I can be at home. And that's what's most important to the females we talk to today. It, it's no longer good enough to say I'm sacrificing my time with my children for work or I'm sacrificing my work because I need to spend more time there. So we've got to find a happy medium. And then we've got to have that time at work be meaningful and be able to connect them to the end, to the end vision, really. And, and that's why my early statement of, look, I want to be passionate about what I do. I think that's really true. And I think that resonates with most people. And then the last piece is we have to show up. We have to stop talking about this. And we have to show people, real people out there doing this. I, I, we, I just spoke to an amazing group of interns, which by the way, we're, we've hired many of them now into the company. It was a really diverse pool of interns. And they were so excited to be able to come into an organization and see women being successful. That just turned big light bulbs on for them. And they were, they were like, we just haven't seen this a lot. And, and that's where we're falling down. We've got to get more visibility to successful women. We've got to get more visibility to those kind of majors that, that we need more women going into. We've got to reach out sooner. We've got to reach out earlier. And we've got to help women believe that you really can do both. You really can have it all. And you don't have to sacrifice yourself in the process. Well, and you're bringing a lot of um, clear enthusiasm and passion to those comments, which is, you know, infectious and really um, terrific to hear. So I can only imagine those interns were um, inspired just hearing you and hearing you talk about that. What keeps you current? What keeps you charged up? Where is your energy coming from? And um, how are you maintaining that as you look forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I learned at an early age that that we don't, in the old days, I felt like women felt like there was only a few seats at the table and we had to sort of climb over the top of each other to get there. And that really stuck with me. And I, I think that we have an obligation, the higher up we move in our careers, the further out we move in our careers, we have an obligation to pay it forward and to help others. And I, I just believe that so strongly. And my passion, my energy is all around helping other women move in their careers, helping other women accomplish what they want to accomplish, helping more of these young women come into these sort of exciting fields where they can make a difference. And so that's what keeps me going. These kinds of things keep me going because um, I'm putting it to work in real life and it works, right? I'm not just talking about it and we're being intentional about it and it works. And I'm so incredibly proud of my current team that I've built and what they're accomplishing and, and showcasing them at the right moments and making a difference and teaching others. You know, I, I spent a lot of time talking to banks and to private equity firms about how to change their profile, how to change the way they approach this, how to change the way they think about this so that it culturally becomes part of who they are versus an action plan. Um, and I think if I can make a difference doing that, even a little bit across a lot of places, then that's, that's what keeps me going. That's what gets me really excited. 
Well, I am just smiling ear to ear as I listen to you, and this is such great input. And clearly, your um, your again enthusiasm for this is uh, why I was so happy to have you on Inspiring Women. As we close out here on this great conversation, any last advice, perhaps for younger listeners of Inspiring Women, that you'd like to give? Yes, I think find a mentor, find somebody out there. They can help mentor you. They don't have to be in your company or in your immediate world, but ask. There's lots of people out there that I think can help and can help you strengthen your inner voice so that the external voices don't, don't sort of create showstoppers for you along the way. Um, and just believe you can and you will, because there's so much opportunity out there. And this is a good time to go sort of grab the opportunity. Well, that is great closing advice. And this has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation. I've been speaking with Anne Barnes. And Anne, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for doing this. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.